by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. We started three weeks ago now, I guess. This will be the third week. Tonight's message is entitled, Walls of Your Salvation. Walls of your salvation. A couple of years ago, they had a lot of rain down in the Mississippi Delta, where I'm from, in the Cleveland, Mississippi area, Benoit, Shaw, all those areas down there. And uh, it was so much rain that it's so flat down there that you could drive down the highways but look out over what was just a, a flat cotton field. And at this time of year, there was nothing planted. It was just it was solid water. I mean, because there was nowhere for the water to run off, and it just stood. It, it was no higher. It looked like an ocean out there, but it was no higher probably than a foot, a foot and a half or so. But almost every house in certain areas was just flooded, and you can drive down the road, and you felt like you was driving through the ocean. And everybody's house was underwater. You may have seen, seen that. I, I drove down there, and I was checking it out. And as I drove down the road, I got to this one house, and he had put sandbags all around his whole front yard and property, not just around the house, around his whole property, and it was dry. I mean, you could have been out there playing in the front yard. He could have mowed the front yard. It was so dry within those sandbags. And I was just thinking to myself, I wonder what his neighbors were thinking when he was out there filling those sandbags up there, making fun of him then, I bet. What is he doing? That crazy old guy's like Noah, you know, building an ark on the dry land. But he, his was the only house <clears throat> on that whole stretch of road that wasn't flooded. Let's turn to Isaiah, the 60th chapter. Sometimes people may ask you, why are you filling those sandbags? Why do you do what you do? Why can't you just relax? <laughs> Isaiah 60, verse 18, says, Violence will disappear from your land. That would be good. The desolation and destruction of war will end. Salvation, say salvation. Salvation will surround you like city walls. And praise will be on the lips of all who enter there. Walls of your salvation. So in our series, Does It Edify? We looked at the word edify, and it says to build up or to strengthen, right? What would be more important to edify a city than to build up some walls to strengthen that city. And in the same token, what would be a better idea to, to bring safety to your life, to keep you from getting flooded, so to speak, than you building up some walls of your salvation around your personal life? What about some walls of salvation 
around your family's life? What about a church? Don't we need some walls of salvation? What is salvation? That's what God provided for us. That's the fullness of everything he promises in his covenant. It's Zoe life. It's it's life as God knows it. You know, he was made a curse for us. So we don't have to live under the curse any longer. We can live in the fullness of the promises that Jesus provided in the new covenant where we're blessed, 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 blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed in our coming, blessed in our going, blessed in our, our, our bank accounts, blessed everywhere we look. Walls. He wants us to live within the walls of his salvation. He wants us to live under the shadow of his wings. He wants to live us to live in his protection. Am I just making this up or is this, these are the things the Bible says? Wouldn't you like for your property to be dry? Though a thousand may fall at my right hand and ten thousand at my left hand, it shall not come nigh me. These things are just coming to me. See, we're supposed to be a set-apart people. We're supposed to be a city on a hill <laughs> so we don't get flooded, so to speak. Now, in the old days, city walls were a major front line of defense against the enemies. In biblical days, if you didn't have a wall, you didn't have much of a city because they didn't have police and all the things that we have so much in those days the enemies would just try to take whatever they could. They'd come steal your stuff at night and they'd kill your people. If you didn't have any walls of defense, you were in trouble. Nothing was more vulnerable than a city without a wall. And in the same token, we're going to talk about, as we're talking about a wall tonight, we're going to talk about the walls of our salvation as, it, as pertaining to our personal lives, walls of our salvation within our family, and walls of salvation within the church, which we need all three. Now, I'm not going to insert any Trump wall references just for a laugh tonight. I'm not going to suggest that Mexico pay for our wall, but I do need you to chant, build that wall, build that. No, just kidding. (laughs) I couldn't resist. It It was right there. But no, we're not going to talk about that. But the need for a wall, the principle, the need for a wall is there. When I think about building a wall, the first thing I think about is Nehemiah. Because that's the most famous example I can think of a man that was sent to build a wall. You know, during the time of Nehemiah, it was a terrible time for God's people. They had been hauled away into captivity into Babylon, and they were servants. In Babylon, the walls of Jerusalem had been knocked down into piles of rubble. The gates burned and charred. And uh, Nehemiah was just the cupbearer of the king, Artaxerxes, which was king of Babylon. Now, that was a pretty big honor, you know, to be, he was just one of the refugees there. And he, he must have been a man of, you know, good intelligence or something. He was chosen to be the cupbearer to the king. But it was a pagan king, and you might say that he was a servant to the things of this world. He was a cup holder. (laughs) That's all he was, was a cup holder in this world. 
And so if we think back, many of us are ju were just servants to the things of this world before we met Jesus. We were just cup holders. That was about what our value, that's the way we saw our value. We were just cup holders to the things of this world. Now, hopefully we're not still like that. Hopefully we see a bigger a purpose in our lives. Let's go ahead and turn to Nehemiah because we're going to stay there most of the night. Around 1130, we'll probably move over to Job. I didn't mean it like some of these new people are saying, I think uh, it's time for us to sneak out the back. <laughs> We've already locked the doors, don't try it. We have ushers waiting outside because people always try that. No. Nehemiah 1 3. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king, and some of the people who had recently traveled to Jerusalem to see how things were going in the old city came back with a report to tell Nehemiah. And they said to me, Things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. So there were certain people who were exiled, but they only kept the, the smarter ones and the more educated ones and used them, and some of them they would let go back, but there was nothing to go back to because the walls were broken down. And it says they are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. And Nehemiah says, when I heard this, I sat down. And I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Now, I don't know if Nehemiah was already a, a believer, if he already followed God, or whether he was just a cup holder in the world. But when he heard this, something stirred, a fire kindled within Nehemiah. And deep down, he began to think to himself, man, I'm called for more than this, just to be a cupbearer. Something rung his bell, and he got this idea, you know, after praying and fasting and thinking, what's happening to my people? He said, he began to see himself as a deliverer. Maybe God had already been stirring that on the inside of him. This was just what he needed to, to spark him into action. He saw himself as a restorer, a builder, not just a cup holder to the world's ways. And maybe you were like that. that you, maybe you remember the day that somebody came. Maybe it was one of God's servants came and told you and stirred you up and told you that there's, you, we need you, Nehemiah. We need you to get into your calling. This is the way it really is. I know over here, just being a cupbearer, that's all you can see right now, but there's, there's dysfunction in the world. There's a, a, a sin problem in the world, and you need to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Do you remember when your eyes were first opened to your call? Do you remember the aha moment that this world is about more than just here and now. It's about more than my 401k. It's about more than just tr trying to find a job that I like. There's something bigger. There's a call. There's a, there's a call to be a restorer, a builder. There's a call on my life. I hope you've come to that place. If not, hopefully you'll see it tonight. 
Do you long to see God's house built? You know, because all through the Old Testament, they wanted to build God a temple, but he said, I don't live in temples made by hand. He said, I'm cool living in the tent, you know, just being around y'all. You know, the earth is just my footstool. You don't really have to build me no vacation pad down here, you know. But then when they finally did, they built it, and, and Solomon did a great job. But then after that, there was a time where they, it got destroyed like this, and then they tried to rebuild it again. And there was a time where the people were supposed to be building God's houses, but they all were more interested in building their own houses. And that's probably why God didn't want them to build a house in in the first place, because he knew they'd end up insulting him later. And see, we live in a generation that not many people here, even in America, are concerned with building God's house at all. They're just mostly concerned about building their own house. Do you weep over lost souls that are going to hell? I mean, we've seen so many commercials on TV with the little skinny children that don't have food, and we've seen so many with the little puppies with the brown eyes sitting there shivering. And we've seen so much tragedy, and we've seen so many things happen now. Are we just growing indifferent to the suffering of the world? Do we not weep over people that are dying without Christ when we have the words of eternal life? Do we not yearn to see God's people that, who are scattered come home? These are the things Nehemiah began to realize. It began to click on the inside of him. There's something more to this life. And he couldn't be happy just holding the cup any longer. So Nehemiah, he took it serious. He fasted for days. And he began to pray to God. And in verse 5, Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. See, first he addresses God and gives God great reverence. We're so flippant about the things of God these days, and I've been guilty of it. You know, you feel like you know God so well that you just, but we forget who we're talking to. We forget. We don't have the fear of God. like We've heard so much soft preaching, devoid of holiness, greasy grace, all this stuff that we hear these days. We have forgotten to be afraid of God and to give Him proper reverence. But see, Nehemiah got serious. Nehemiah got on the carpet for days. Fasted, mourned before he even dared to go before God with his petitions. And he called him the great and awesome God. And then the first thing he did when he walked into the presence of a holy God, he said, I have sinned. Like so many prophets before him 
Who was it that says, I'm a man of unclean lips? Jeremiah? One of the Mayas. And Peter, when he realized who Jesus was, says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. When you step into the presence of God and you recognize who he is, your first reaction should be to, to let go and admit and confess your sins and say, God, I'm sorry. I am unworthy to be in your presence, but by the blood of Jesus, I stand before you. And if there's any unrepentant sin, you should keep that under the blood. When you sin, if you'll confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Why wouldn't you stay in that cleansed place? Why would you act like, well, you know, my sin ain't that important. I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm mostly good. He ain't. We get flipping about things. But see, Nehemiah didn't. He confessed his sin, his family's sin, the, the, the church family's sin. And isn't that what God says? If my people which are called by my name. See, I used to think that scripture meant America. If, it, if his people, America, would, 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 uh, would uh, repent. But no, it says if my people which are called by my name, that's his church. Surely his church can repent. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their sins, heal their land and forgive their sins. Then he will. So sin is a big deal. It's a prayer killer. Get it under the blood so that you can have boldness to come before the Lord. Nehemiah doesn't make excuses for his sins. He doesn't say, but God, I, you know, I don't do it much. You know my heart, God. Yeah, God does know your heart. That's why you need to be on your face asking for forgiveness. He cast himself totally upon the mercy of God. And that's where we all stand, at the mercy of God. If it, if it wasn't for the mercy of God, Paul said in Acts 20, 21, I've had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. Having faith that his blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I sound like a, an old-time fiery preacher tonight, don't I? Hey, Hey, we need some more old-time fiery preachers behind the pulpit. I, I can tell you. Verse 8, he goes on in his prayer. He says, please remember what you, what you told your servant Moses. If you're unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. And see, that's what had happened. They had been unfaithful to God, and God had allowed the Babylonians to take over and ruin Jerusalem and scatter them. But he says in verse 9, but, it, but if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then you are, who are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. In other words, I will bring you back to your homeland. I will bring you back to Jerusalem. Though, 
Nehemiah is broken before God. He recognizes the hope in the Scriptures. So he's reminding God, God, I know that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. But your word says. But Lord, please remember your word. Sometimes I say, Lord, please remember Jesus and what he did for me, Lord. But your word says that you will bring us back home if we repent. Your word says we've been exiled to the ends of the earth, but you'll bring us back to the place that we can bring glory to your name if we will repent. So Nehemiah, the first thing he does in his effort to be a restorer and a builder of the wall, prays earnestly. And the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And he gets a plan, and he goes before the king, a pagan king. Now, most of us would say, I ain't, no, I ain't asking the king. He, he ain't even a Christian. He's going he gonna, he gonna to behead me for even asking that. But Nehemiah goes before the king, and he's sad, and the king says, what's up, my cup-bearing brother? He says, I'm just sad because of my people and their condition in Jerusalem. And this king listens, and his the queen is there. Do you know God can turn the heart of even a pagan king? See, most of us would have been afraid to ask for something that big. Nehemiah not only asked, can I go? He says, will you send some soldiers with me? Will you send some money with me? Will you send some supplies with me so I can build this place? He's got a lot of nerve. And guess what? The king says, let's do it. Stamps it and gives it to him. I'll get somebody to replace you. How long are you going to be gone? So Nehemiah, he heads off. He gets the permission to rebuild. You have not because you ask not. God can do a lot more than you think. He can, he can sway the heart of your boss that that cussing boss you got that you think ain't got a, a decent bone in his body. He'll give you a raise. <laughs> chapter 2. That was chapter 1. Nehemiah, he goes and he, he goes to Jerusalem. He's got his entourage that goes with him. He picks men that, that want to go back and rebuild the wall. And as everybody's camping out for the night because there's no shelter in Jerusalem, it's, it's all torn down, Nehemiah says, I'm going to go assess the damage. He sneaks off pretty much by himself with just a couple of guys. He don't want everybody seeing what's going on. And he walks through Jerusalem at night. And he's appalled by what he sees. It's just a heap of rubble. There's places he can't even get through with his donkey. And the stones are charred. There's not one stone left at atop of another. And it had to be disheartening for him to see these things. But he wanted to, he wanted to go and assess the damage and come up with a plan. And you know what? I think about the importance of that. See, most of us, if we get ourselves stuck in a rut and life doesn't seem to be moving and we, we don't like our job or we don't like this or whatever, 
we just seem to go around that same old mountain. This is the way it is. This is the way it is. This is the way it is. We have not because we ask not. This is the way it is. And I see people and I'm like, why don't you begin to pray for something better? Well, I don't know. I think this is where I'm at. And I think to myself, we would rather go around that same mountain a thousand times than to spend ten minutes in meditation and ask the Lord what we should do to change it. Is there anything I can do, Lord, or what would you have me do? Or, Lord, will you help me? And so we go for months. Sometimes we get on a kick and go for years. Some people do their whole life, and they, and they hate their existence. But they never ask God, what can we do? And they never assess the damage of their own sin in their life. See, Jerusalem was a mess because the people had been a mess. Have you ever gotten alone with God and calculated the destruction sin has taken in your life? Have you thought about it? Sometimes we just sin and we don't ever put the two together. Why does this death keep coming in my life? Well, it's payday. The wages of sin is death. We never seem to put the two together in our mind. We don't think about the toll that our sin is taking on our children. Oh, it's just a little pornography, you know, it's just a, nobody sees me do it. But you don't think about all the demons that you're allowing in your house. All the spirits. Why do you think they call it wine and spirits? We don't think about the separation from God that sin causes in our life. I mean, we want to do great things for God, but we're embarrassed to talk to him because he's going to be mad at me. We get under condemnation instead of dealing with it. We don't think about the relationships that are wrecked in our lives by our sin. The years wasted of our calling because we're running from it. Because we would rather sin. Oh, I swore I wouldn't say this. Stop me now before it's too late, Angie. I see these young people today, and not, some of them not so young, that will throw their whole future away because they love smoking dope. Can't get a good job because they can't pass the test. But no, there's nothing wrong with it. God wouldn't have put it on the earth if we weren't supposed to smoke it. That's all I got to say about that. Because I could go the rest of the service. It, I will say that for every person that I've ever seen that smokes dope, it is like the devil putting a wet blanket on your hopes and dreams. And you get up under there, and it, oh, it's kind of comfortable under here, and you don't know life at all. God's like, rip that thing off and get to work, son. Have a hope for your life. Get off the couch and stop eating the bonbons. Let's go.
People get mad when you talk about their dope these days. Everybody does it. Yeah, and you see what's happening to the world. You don't see many Nehemiahs anymore. All the poor little Nehemiahs over there trying to get one more toke over the line. Has any sin ever been worth what it cost you? If you never stop and you, if you don't never examine your life and calculate what's going on and put the two together, why the things are, are happening in your life, then you'll just think, that's just my luck. But we don't live by luck. If you're still struggling with sin, get alone and do an assessment. And I'm positive you'll rethink your attachment to sin. You'll see, man, there's got to be a better way. There's rewards. There's blessing comes with obedience to God. So Nehemiah makes a, pl a plan, and he begins to persuade others. Well, we ain't even going to get past the second chapter tonight. Nehemiah makes a plan and begins persuading others to be on the team because he's a natural-born leader. And you probably are too. You're probably scared to admit it. Nehemiah 2.17, he says, But now I said to them, you know very well. He gets to Jerusalem. He gathers everybody up. Come on. Somebody got to have a plan. I got a plan. God sent me here with a plan. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. See, you got to put up them walls of your salvation so you don't live in a heap of rubble and disgrace and bring shame on the name of the Lord Jesus. Then I told him about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king, and they replied at once, Yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. He, was, he got past the major hurdle to, to get a team on board with him. Let's go. Let's get this thing done. And I tell you what, God will give you the words to say if you're willing to step out and lead. If you're willing to humble yourselves and pray and get a vision, God will give you the words to say to inspire other people. There will be people who will want to follow you if you know where you're going because most people in America don't know where they're going. And that's all we're doing here is we're finding out what God says and that's where we're going. It's that simple. Most people won't change. They want to see things change. I wish the church was full. I wish this. I wish that. But they're all waiting on somebody else to do it. When we all have a part to play. <laughs> you got to begin to see, you got to begin to recognize that you're the one that recognizes. You're the one who needs to repent. You're the one who needs to begin to recruit. And you're the one that needs to repair. Because that's all Nehemiah did. He, he recognized that his, there was a need. He repented of his sins. He began to recruit everybody else. And they began to repair. And which one of us can do, can, can't do those four? You can do it. 
You can do it in your personal life. You can begin to rebuild your, your Christian walk. You can begin to rebuild it in your family. And we can begin to do it as a church. And we can begin to be that church that will become a name synonymous with love, hope, purpose, and family and the place to find the real Jesus. Instead of all these churches where people come here afterwards and all of them been hurt. Now, you, your family may rebel a little bit when, when you come up with a plan and say, we're gonna, we're gonna, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You threaten to take the TV out of the wall, and i tell you what, it's on like Donkey Kong. I still ain't been able to do it, though I have threatened for many years. You're going to have your spouse rebel, your children are going to rebel. I'm not saying get ready your TV, that was just an example. If I talk about TV and dope in one night, that'll be the end of this church. Ain't nobody going to come here. But people, your family will rebel and stuff. But you know what? Deep down, they're longing for somebody in the house to step up. Thank you, John, to step up. They're looking for leadership. And you can be the leader. Recognize, repent, recruit, and repair. Down in chapter 2, verse 19, it says, When Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. That's a fancy word for they were making fun of Nehemiah. Y'all going to build the wall? Yeah, look at that. Good luck with that. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they ask? I replied, said Nehemiah, the God of heaven will help us succeed. Statement of faith. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall, but you have no share, no legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. So he goes on and makes a clear division between him and the enemies of God. Our God's going to give us the victory just like little David told Goliath. I come in the name, you come at me with a sword and a spear, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of Heaven's armies. You got your stuff, but we got our stuff, and our stuff's bigger than your stuff. His name's God. And you ain't got no part with us. And in chapter 3, Nehemiah gets organized. He gives everybody a, a gate to work on. He gives everybody a section of wall to build. And everybody that's there, they get to work. Tobiah, one of those enemies, he begins to mock the process. He says, oh, man, even a fox would tumble that wall down. A little old light fox would jump on that thing and knock it down. But Nehemiah doesn't listen. He doesn't get offended. He just, the work just continues. He doesn't pay attention to the naysayers. Have you let little foxes pull down your work in the past? I know I did when I was a teenager or something. I'd get a good idea. I was writing a song or something, and I'd show somebody a little piece of it. You know, what do you think about this and this chorus right here? And that's all I got so far. I don't know. And instead of keep working on it, I'd be, well, that. You know, or whatever it was. I would let people dissuade me. And usually, you know who that is? It's either the devil or somebody being used by the devil. 
If you don't have naysayers in your life, if you don't have people criticizing your work and what you're doing, you're probably not working hard enough. If nobody's criticizing you, you're probably not doing much. You know why? Because the devil doesn't bother those he doesn't consider a threat. He doesn't mess with people that's not doing anything against him. But you go trying to build his church, or you go sticking your nose and trying to help somebody out of their sin or out of their poverty or showing them that they can be saved and, and see what happens. Opposition will arise. So as real progress takes place, Tobiah and Sanballat and the other idiots are enraged and they begin to threaten. Now, they're not just mocking anymore. They start seeing progress and they're thinking, well, we, we better, they're not listening to us. We better uh, fight against them. So they threaten physical violence. We're going to get y'all in the night when y'all are trying to sleep, you know. So what did Nehemiah do? Well, that's it. It's just getting too hard. Call, let's all go back to Babylon. No, he just prays to God. Just protect us, Lord. Protect us. I can't tell you. I'm just, just, a, just a small under-shepherd at a little bitty church in Horn Lake. I can't imagine the devils that some of these huge church pastors in, endure. But I can tell you just from my own experience. I have to get up every morning and put on the whole armor. And I get up every morning and I pray the whole armor over you. So I don't have to chase all of y'all down to Methodist East and Methodist Germantown. And, and nobody wants to go to Baptist DeSoto, you know. For my own well-being, I pray for you. <laughs> There's real progress beginning to take place, and so now all of a sudden the enemy is ready to fight. He's scaring the people, and all the people that are on Nehemiah's side that are building the walls, about that same time, they get all tired. We're worn out. We've been at this for weeks straight, and they're ready to quit. Then opposition from their own ranks, even some of the leaders that Nehemiah had put in place start complaining. They start fighting one another. And that's what really hurts you the most when the people that you've put in leadership begin to break ranks on you. People are tired. The enemy's coming after you. Opposition is rising. But let me ask you a question. Who said wall building would be easy? When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Some of us are looking for vacation. That's all. I mean, we're looking for comfortable down here. We're looking for a day of rest. And we're not going to get rest on this side of eternity, whether you're following God or not. Our day of rest is coming. Jesus Christ is our rest down here. And if, you don't, if you're not into him then you're just going to stay worn out down here. So you might as well be doing something productive because you're going to be fighting one way or the other down here. Nehemiah said in 
chapter 4, verse 14, he said, Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord. And that's why we talk about our why. That is so simple. Every church in America has got this same banner. And I wanted to say, well, we, we got other banners now. But no, we cannot forget our why. We are here because we love God. And if we lose our love for God, then we, we're hopeless. We love God, we love his people, and we love his purposes. And that's what he's saying right here. He said, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, do not be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord. Remember why you're doing what you do. Who is great and glorious. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. He's saying, is there not a cause? Your inaction cost people. Who will sound the call for our generation? That's what God wants to know. Where's the young men that have a, a yearning to do something great? Are we all walking around with that wet blanket on our shoulders. I don't know. I ain't never felt like that. I ain't never felt like my life didn't matter. From the very beginning, I felt like I got to do something. Even when I didn't know what to do, I had to do something. I don't understand folks that don't feel like they have something to contribute and are okay with not contributing. Many of y'all know the story of Soul Food, how we were playing in the nightclubs. We were a band called Diesel Jane, and we were all heathens of heathens, and we all got saved in the same year. And now most of them are your praise team. And, but in that same year, we got saved, and we started playing for the Lord. Well, the difference in playing for the nightclubs and playing for the Lord is in playing in the nightclubs, you got paid. That's something I ain't figured out yet. I mean, the, the church expects you to do everything for free. So you're putting the same amount of time in, the same amount of work. You, you spent $60,000 worth of your equipment, but they expect you to donate your time. But let me not go there. All right, so, so all of a sudden, about a year in, the band's saying, we, wanna, we know you're not going back, God, because you're extreme. We know that you're, you don't want to go back to play the nightclubs. And we're going back, but we're, we're not going to drink anymore. And we're not going to do anything bad. We're just going to make the money that we used to make because we made a lot of money. And it was a big income loss. And I kind of understood their position. But then the Lord says, if they go back, you're not going with them. And so I thought to myself, oh, okay. And I prayed about that. And then I said, okay, well, I'm just quitting the band then. And then about midway through the week, he said, no, I didn't tell you to quit the band. I didn't tell you to give up on your fellas. I was just letting you know that you're not going back with them, but you need to fight for them. So the next time we got together to discuss it, I ended up on the coffee table. I'm up here like this. Guys, don't you realize what God delivered us from? I got tears in my eyes. Tony, was you there? 
I'm telling them about how we have crossed the Jordan and there ain't no going back. And I was trying to tell them, it don't matter about the money. And of course, we've been more blessed now than we ever were in the world. But I got up on the table and I, and I gave it my all. And within the week, guess what? Every one of them called me up individually and said, you know, I've been thinking about it. And uh, I really don't want to go back to that life. You know, my wife says she don't want me playing in the clubs no more. And my children, I, I could spend more time with them if we don't. And this and that. And that's what happened with Nehemiah's group. They didn't quit. They began to work harder. And the Bible says, don't be weary in well-doing, for you will reap if you faint not. Keep on keeping on, no matter if it looks hard. In Nehemiah 4.16, it says the leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work, one hand supporting their load and another hand holding a weapon. And all the builders had a sword belted to their side, and the trumpeters stayed with me to sound the alarm. And that's exactly how I feel like we're doing here at the church sometimes. You know, we're growing. We're taking kingdom business. I mean, we're doing kingdom business, and we're growing. We're taking land for the kingdom of God, taking territory. And we're coming against opposition, and the devil's not just going to sit back and watch it happen. And so it gets hard sometimes. It feels like half the labor force is quitting. And some of your leadership is rebelling. And there's strife going on here, and there's criticism going on here, and the devil is attacking, and he's not just calling you names. Now he's wanting to kill you. They say new levels, new devils. And I think to myself, we got to have the leaders behind the workers. They got, to give a, they got to be encouraging them, standing behind them, and giving them the freedom to do what they got to do. We got to have the workers to keep their hands on the load and one hand on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Our workers have to stay prayed up. We got to have the prayer warriors going ahead in the Spirit and, and making the path straight for when we get there. Praying things out before we get there and making sure we don't make any wrong turns. Being ready to sound the alarm of the trumpets. So all these things have to be in operation just in a little local church like this. And those things need to be operational in your household. And all the way down to your personal life. You've got to have that sword of the Spirit in your hand. You've got to be working. But you've got to be vigilant. You've got to be prayerful. It's always a challenge to keep moving forward. I don't think it's going to get easier. It may get more difficult. Let's close here. Oh, it's going to be all right. <laughs> See, overwhelming victory is ours through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're just enforcing the victory. Overwhelming victory. We already have the victory. But we're working for the sake of those that don't know him yet. We have the victory. But we're working to get victory into the life of all those poor lost souls out there that are just regular old cup holders. 
Mm-hmm. We're working for every young couple that comes walking these aisles, that come up here needing prayer for their marriage, just like me and Angie did 20 years ago. We're working for every poor teenager that comes up here wanting to get off the, the dope. Like tonight, some of you. Mm. Got to have a desire to be delivered and to become a deliverer, a restorer and a builder. You got to sense your deeper purpose in this life. You got to repent of the old life and throw yourself on God's mercy. You got to get alone with God and come up with a plan, build a team, be the one who recognizes, repents, recruits, and repairs. You got to contend with the enemy. He's not going anywhere. You can't be afraid of him, but you've got to fight him. You've got to strap a sword on your side and get busy and continue to work. Refuse to get distracted. And come back next, next Wednesday. We're, we're not only going to finish how he built the wall, but we're probably going to get into how to maintain your wall once you get it built. Is this good tonight? Are you encouraged or have I, have I beat you down? See, the victory is for all who will step forward into it. I like to be challenged. Some people don't like it. They're like, I can't go to that church long if he's going to talk like that all the time. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.